first wanted to say, Kathy, um, there is an age difference with us, but the beautiful thing is our relationship is in the Lord, and I do not see you as an older sister nor a younger mother, but my best friend. Um, so tonight, uh, when I first got the study, I have to confess, since she did speak about um, going to look at model homes, I saw um, wisdom, you know, the wise homemaker, the excellent, but I really saw turning a house into a home, and I was thinking of all the HGTV um, series that I see because I like that stuff. Um, I did go to school for design um, back in the day, so it does really um, come up and, you know, it does excite me. But the Lord had to say, no, 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 no. First, seek the kingdom of God. So um, the first scripture that he actually gave me way, way back when I was starting to study was Colossians 3. But then we're really going to bounce off that and dig into that in other scriptures. So I'm going to read it first, and then we'll pray and move, move on. So Colossians 3, to the Christian women. So when I'm speaking tonight, it's really to the Christian homemaker. Um, he says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we um, hear those words in relation to being a homemaker, and, and we re relate that into our home and our families. So let's pray for tonight's message. Father, Lord, we come before you with grateful hearts, Father God, that are ready to receive, Lord. Um, prepare them, Father God. And as Kathy said, let the day's um, dealings fade away, Father God, that we can sit and receive, Father God, what you want for, for us, Father God, your chosen, your elect, the women, Father God, um, that you've called to, to be your own, Father God. We love you. And again, we just pray that your word would be anointed, that you would be in the midst, that you would be the center, Father God, always you, not us, Father God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. So the wise and excellent homemaker and turning a house into a home is the topic. Now, homemaker, simply put, is the keeper of the home, one who manages a household. And for some of us, it's our main daily activity. Can't see you guys. <laughs> and for others, we work outside of the home as well. And last month, we looked into the life of the Proverbs 31 woman, and um, Griselda shared that she was a kind of a superwoman, so to speak, and I agree with that, right? Inside the home, she managed the home, and she tended to her family. But outside the home, she bought and sold in the marketplace. And she is an amazing example for us to glean from. Actually, verse 27a says she looks well to the ways of her household, and that's what we're looking at tonight. 
So to become that excellent homemaker, we first need to build that spiritual foundation. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, ladies, we should not be running our homes on earthly wisdom. We try to do that a lot. But tonight, um, again, when we reference this homemaker, it's about the Christian woman whose wisdom is from above. Now, the scriptures say the Lord gives wisdom. These are Proverbs. And they also say that wisdom is better than gold. So the Lord gives it, and it's better than gold. Chapter 3, so, so he gave me Colossians, but then we're going to go into um, James, and we're going to get into some Galatians. So we're going to be a little bit all over, but it's all going to tie in, and it's all the same things. And when we hear the same things in different books, right, there's a reason, because it's very, very important. So um, chapter 3 of James um, speaks of the Christian's accountability of their speech and actions. And this is all related to being wise and how we're going to run our households. And it contrasts earthly wisdom to wisdom from above. And in fact, it says that earthly wisdom is unspiritual and demonic. And it is evident, that is evident in our culture today. Isaiah 5 says, Woe to those who say... That what is evil is good, and what is good is evil. And we're seeing that again everywhere in the world today. Woe to those that say black is white, and white is black. Bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and think themselves so clever. And that is just earthly wisdom. Now Satan, he pushes hard to pollute our minds, our hearts, and our lives. And his full-time job hasn't changed. He is still hard at work to kill, still, and destroy. In Ecclesiastes, it says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And we see this in our current battle today in schools and universities, whether it be the curriculum or CRT, campus clubs that are starting up that are not good, campus speakers that they want to come on and speak, infringement of parental rights. All of these um, current issues, keep this in mind as um, we look at this teaching from a gentleman named Dr. Ferguson. And I was on Blue Letter Bible. I use that tool sometimes to help study. Um, His actual name is uh, Dr. Sinclair B. Ferguson. He says, something radical happened to our culture in the 18th century. It was a great transition point in the way of which Western civilization had formulated itself. It was a dramatic transition, he says. And listen carefully to what he says. There is probably no subject taught in high school or university that has not been profoundly influenced by this 18th century movement. And that movement he's referring to is known as the Enlightenment. The Christianized culture of the Western world held the principles of God's revelation. But during this movement, man became the measure of all things. Man and his arrogance and unbelief laid God aside, instead believing that man could fathom all things. And the thought pattern of man and the measure of everything became whether I, man, can understand it. Could I reason it through? Again, James says that this wisdom is unspiritual and demonic. 
And Dr. Ferguson continues on saying that our teenagers are being raised in a world largely influenced by the thought patterns of the Enlightenment rather than the wisdom of God. Today, it's the woke and the cancel culture movements. He goes on to share that Harvard University, founded in 1636, he said one of the finest universities in the English-speaking world in terms of how they do rate universities, well, the founders gave Harvard a motto in Latin veritas, which is truth. But sadly, he says, this is all that's left of the original motto that the founders gave, which was truth for Christ and the church. So they've cut out Christ and the church and kept truth. And the University of Aberdeen, is, which this Dr. Ferguson's alma mater, was founded even longer ago, 1495, and its motto was the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Well, how awesome is that to go to a college that your motto is a proverb? But now, he says, it's been reduced to the beginning of wisdom. That's it. In line with the Enlightenment. The motto now applies that the university is your source of wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom. It is where you obtain wisdom. And the fear of the Lord has been omitted entirely. They've taken God out of their foundation. Now, our foundation must be laid on solid ground. First Corinthians says no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Christian church is a counterculture to the culture of which we exist. We're a counterculture. Romans 12.2 knew that that's where we would be. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have to stand firm on this. Now James, um, in his book, was teaching Christians who were living in essentially a pagan culture like we are today. Nothing new under the sun. He's teaching them then. We're, We're learning today. He said, live a life that pleases God and leave a mark on society. And ladies, we want to live lives pleasing to God to enable us to leave a mark on our families. This is the inheritance that we leave them. It's not a perishable one by earthly possessions and all these things we collect. It's an eternal one in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, James continues, wisdom is from, uh, wisdom from above is first of all pure. Wisdom from above is peaceable. It is gentle and willing to yield. It is full of mercy and good fruit. And we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. It is without partiality or favoritism. And we know God hates favoritism. And he doesn't play um, favorites, thankfully. Um, He loves us all and wants us all to know him and have a relationship with him. And likewise, in our home, we shouldn't have a favorite child nor a favorite anything. So no favoritism, and it is without hypocrisy, so it's sincere. And actually, there's an entire book in the Bible devoted to becoming wise, right? The book of Proverbs given to us that we would train ourselves and our children up to live wisely. So the wise homemaker, the wise Christian woman, she has a deep understanding of God and his call on her life as a homemaker. 
Titus 2.5 says, Tell Christian women to be workers in their homes, a keeper at home, a housekeeper. Women are to be keeping house, making sure that things are running smoothly, that there is unity at home, that everyone's being taken care of, whether we work um, outside of the home or not. If you are coming home from another job, well, then ask, we need to ask God for that extra strength, right, to get through the rest of the day and finish the tasks we need to do. I know sometimes my day is very long, and it is hard to continue on to those things that I'm called to do at home. And sometimes, honestly, I fail at that. Um, I feel like, you know, I told my husband, hey, I'm sorry, I'm teaching this on this tonight. And I'm the biggest failure. So I am learning, and I wish I could take notes at whatever God's putting through my mouth right now. The call of the homemaker gives us full ownership of all the domestic duties. But it doesn't mean that we have to do all the work ourselves. As long as we're managing the task, then we can have other family members helping us out, working together to keep the home in order and to run smoothly. Now, the wise homemaker has a deep understanding of the members of her household. So we know their personalities, their strengths and weaknesses, their needs and their fears. We know them well. Um, I, I homeschooled for about five years, and each of my two children thrived in different learning styles. One flourished in um, independent study and like co-op, co-op classes, while the other one worked better with a complete Um, CD homeschool package that immersed them in like a visual classroom or virtual classroom environment while sitting on the couch in pajamas, probably eating cereal. But that's the way she thrived, and then the other one was out. But actually, might have been ahead of the times, because I think with COVID and at home and Zoom meetings and all that, that may be very well what is happening today, (laughs) too. She wasn't the only one. But the wise homemaker has keen discernment as well, sharp, clear ability to judge well, highly aware of what is going on in her home. We don't let anyone bring in garbage from the world, right? We want to guard our homes. And the wise homemaker has the capacity for sound judgment. Remember Solomon? He had two women arguing over their baby. One, was, one died. One was living. Whose was it? He was very wise. We have the capacity, um, again, for sound judgment, meaning she has the capacity to assess situations and circumstances and intelligently draw sound conclusions. And sound judgment is needed um, with a lot of tasks within our household like negotiating work that a handyman might have to do, or squabbling siblings, right? Like, what's going on here? You tell your story, you tell, and you got to figure it out. So, um, sound judgment. The excellent homemaker now. So, that's wisdom. The excellent homemaker, she uses this wisdom from God to be exceptionally good at managing all things home from creating a peaceful, loving refuge for her family, a safe sanctuary from the outside world, to providing, we do clean laundry, warm meals, we um, manage the finances, and we do provide um, furnishings and decor and make it a happy place, right? 
She does all this, though. The excellent homemaker does all this with the wisdom of God, and she's very good at it, the excellent one. She's very good at it. And the second part of our um, study is turning that house into a home. So now we know where wisdom comes from. We know what it looks like. Um, And we know that um, when we serve our families and God with the wisdom, then we can become that excellent homemaker. But a house is a building. It has a foundation. It has framing, piping, wiring, drywall, doors, windows, trim, cabinets, fixtures, appliances, furniture, so on. That house, engineers and contractors are needed to build it. In Hebrews 3, 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. A home, on the other hand, is an atmosphere created within the walls of a house. And the wise homemaker grows that house into a home. A house is purchased, but a a home, it must be cultivated and established. In Proverbs, it says, By wisdom a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. And since Kathy shared, we we are going to be going to Texas. I'll share this real quick because we lived in our home here in Covina for 25 years. And I loved our home. I loved it. It was a home. And when we we decided to sell it because the market was, um, we had already purchased our home in Texas. We're waiting for the retirement date. So we decided to sell it now because the market was good, and then that would be one less stress for us trying to sell it um, when we were ready to leave. And it sold in a day, and we didn't miss it. We downsized. We're in an apartment temporarily. and But our home is we're in our apartment now. And since we're in an apartment temporarily, I have one thing on the wall. And um, because we're there temporarily, but it's still our home. (laughs) Our walls are white, but it's our home because it's our family there. God is there. It's our home. And our home in Covina is now a house we sold. So it's us and God moving, right? And our house in Texas, there's a little bit in it, but it's, I do refer to it as our house in Texas. But when we move there, it will be our home. So with that, we, um, again, have the knowledge, the, wis- the knowledge of wisdom, where it comes from, what it looks like, and now we're going to see how to fill our rooms with valuables. And it's not just about that laundry and the meals and the painting and the decorating, but it's really about creating a place for family and friends to thrive, and it's where Jesus is center. We want those to enter our homes to encounter truth and goodness and to feel safe and comfortable. In Galatians 5.22, we know they introduce us there to the fruit of the Spirit. Paul spoke of these same attributes earlier in Colossians. Remember, that's what the Lord had given me, but now we're going to get deeper into these um, nuggets. These are godly attributes of those who are filled with the Spirit and those who walk in the Spirit. And we know them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, every Christian home should be filled with these riches. 
And we're going to look deeper into love, joy, and peace. We'll learn how to cultivate these fruits in our home, and we, we're going to learn how to put them on display in our, for our household. Paul says the greatest gift is love, and we all want to be loved, right? We want to feel loved, and it seems a basic human need, love, to be loved. Now, we can do amazing things for our families. We can cook delicious meals. We can scrub every stain out of their white socks or, like, decorate their rooms beautifully. But without love, it's of no profit, the Bible says. It's just a clanging symbol. Without love, is it actually really appreciated? I wondered that. Because the desire to be loved seems so much more than someone doing nice things for us. It's a huge part, and it's a great start, but there is so much more to it. Because the love that Paul speaks about is agape love, right? We've heard of this agape love. It most expresses Christ-like selfless love, a love that loves without changing. It's a love that gives without demands or expectations, It's a love so great that it is able to be given to the unlovable. And sometimes people in our lives, those closest ones that we live with in our homes, have unlovable habits and attitudes, right? So this love enables us to love them and and still be kind to them. It's a love that loves even when rejected. And I'm sure a lot of us have felt rejected, sometimes by the families within our within the walls of our home but this love is an absolute virtue of godly living now the actions of love we hear these a lot um, we're going to look at them and how we apply them into our household love is patient so we will tolerate those who annoy us and hurt us and when we're long-suffering, we're able to bear these annoyances and adversities until a remedy or some sort of improvement comes. And love is kind. We'll say and do nice things. We can give them compliments and speak encouraging words. We could, you know, rub their back. How are you doing? I mean, my sister here gives me a hug and a back rub all together. That's love. <laughs> That's kind love. Um, love is faithful, so we're reliable. Our families can count on us to fulfill their needs, the needs of our households. Love is gentle and shows self-control, so we should be mild-mannered, controlling ourselves for the sake of others. Listen more than you speak, because every time we open our mouth, we give ourselves another opportunity to offend someone. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your words always be with grace, Seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. What love is not? It is not jealous. Don't resent someone else's accomplishments. We need to teach that to siblings too, right? Sometimes there's rivalry and jealousy between them. So instead, applaud each other and reward accomplishments, like a special little something to say, hey, I'm proud of you. Actually, um, we need to run from jealousy and envy. If left unchecked, it rots our bones and it poisons our minds. It murdered Abel and it enslaved Joseph and put Jesus on the cross. Love is not boastful. We don't need to have um, the limelight in our homes, right? 
We, when we do good works for others, for our family, it's perfectly okay to remain anonymous. Actually, in the book of Matthew, it says, let your giving be done in secret. Giving of money, giving of time, giving of self. Then God who sees will reward you. And that's what we want to teach our children too, right? To do acts of kindness, to not be boastful about them. Love is not proud, so don't have a swollen head. Don't be prideful. Keep your focus on the needs of others, on the needs of your family. It's not rude. Instead, it fosters kindness and respect. It puts others first. It's not self-centered and self-absorbed. Like, you know, hold on a sec. I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone. Don't be self-absorbed. Care more about the welfare and comfort of your family. Love is not irritable. People can be annoying, um, the ones that we live with, the ones that we're around all the time, um, but we're not to allow them to provoke us. Moses was kept from the promised land because he was provoked. So don't let, um, don't be irritable. Love does not keep records of being wrong, so throw away your file cabinets. We can't cling to the hurts of the past. For one, why would we save them? Because there's more to come, surely, right? That's like a for sure thing. But on a serious note, it can be painful and damaging. So you can't look forward and backward at the same time. And I thought of, um, you were kind of saying a little story of it, but my story was like when you throw your purse in the back seat and then you need your sunglasses and you're trying to get to the sunglasses, but you're veering off because when you turn this way, like your hand when you're driving, right, steers off to the side. So you can do that. You can even U-turn, but that's destruction, ladies. The path of the righteous is straight and narrow, always focused on the prize straight ahead, the prize above. We can't look forward and backward at the same time, so let it go. Love does not rejoice in injustice. Instead, it rejoices in truth. Love actually stands on truth because love is pure and truth is good. And then lastly, we've heard it before, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love covers a multitude of sins. It will not proclaim the faults of a good person. And Spurgeon says, love stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on her lip. Not going to say it. The next time you want to blast someone, put your finger on your lip and cover their sin with love. Love chooses to believe the best of others. Love has confidence for the future. It hopes for the best, and its hope is in God. And many of us can endure all things for a while, but agape love keeps on. It keeps on bearing. It keeps on believing. It keeps on hoping, and it doesn't give up. And then we have joy. Joy is like a laughter deep within our soul, right? It's like, it is that. It's like a laughter deep within our soul. But Satan, Satan has marketed his kingdom as the fun zone. And it's filled, though, with empty patches of temporal pleasures. But joy comes from God. And it's a result of our faith and our obedience. 
but sin robs us of joy. So we have to be steadfast. Steadfast in our walk with the Lord will result in an abundance of joy. And that's cool. That's when you just smile, right? Because it's deep within your soul. The spirit of joy is a much higher joy, a true joy that remains evident regardless of the circumstance in our household, in our homes. We are to rejoice through troubles. Count it all joy, we're told. But how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Not on our own strength. And I loved um, last month because Griselda reiterated that. Not on our own strength, but by the strength of the Lord. Abide in me and I in, I in you, says the Lord. And this joy, it's an amazing possession. It's the source from God, and it offers us an overwhelming ability to not only accept all things as part of his plan for our lives, but to enjoy them as well. And it's unexplainable, right, to enjoy ad- adversity. But it, the word says it, and it's true. And then there's peace. The Bible describes peace as the result of having a right relationship with God and with others. So peace with God and peace within our households. We want our homes to be a refuge for our families. Of course, we need a right relationship with God to do that. There is a Christian platitude or truism some of you may have heard. No, N-O, no Jesus, no peace. No, K-N-O, no Jesus, no peace, right? Isaiah 9-6 says, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Once we, believers, surrendered our lives to him, we experienced this indescribable peace, and he became our source of peace. And there's a promise in Philippians 4 that whatever come your way, let not your heart be troubled. Take it all to God in prayer, and we will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds and as we live in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. So when we're burdened and troubled, when we're irritated and frustrated, tired and spent when it seems like the floodgates have just burst right open trust in god and pray says tell him about it take everything to him so that we are able to wait on him in his perfect peace it's it's the peace of god is amazing and when you live in his peace then you're able to demonstrate to those in your home who god is and what place he takes in your life you will be in control of that thermostat in your home, right? We can control it. We could dial down the heat when, when these kids come in hot or, you know, whatever's going on. We have the ability as the wise and excellent homemakers to dial up what's going on in our home. But back to the platitude, no Jesus, no peace, and no Jesus, no peace. I Googled it, and... Um, I came across this post by a believer named Jonathan Quentin. I don't know who the boy is, the guy is. But he pinned his answer to a question about this platitude so very well that I am going to take the time to share it with you. He says, I will take this at face value and say that it's probably saying you can't have true peace without Jesus, which is true. Real tangible peace comes from God like all good things do, 
And our bridge to God is through his death, burial, and resurrection as Christ Jesus the Son. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And when I was born again, I was sealed with the Holy Ghost, in which case you experience a taste of the peace that comes from God, the peace that surpasses understanding. And it is definitely real peace. No physical world feeling, thought, sensory input, whatever, can compare to the peace that comes from God, he says. If you haven't experienced it, it's pretty much impossible to imagine. Even though you can intellectually understand a description of it, you can't really understand it. Because it's transcendent, that is to say, it's so other from what we can normally experience or perceive that there is no mistaking it. The peace from God is beyond your normal experience, which is impossible to describe. People who haven't experienced it tend to think it's a state of mind, but anything that the body experiences is not it. I know this because my body could be feeling anything, like anger, unhappy, sad, whatever, and I would look like I was suffering on the outside, but the part of me that is me, the real me, your soul, is wrapped held, kept in peace, so that the suffering doesn't touch you. This is truly impossible to explain. You could feel the anger or sadness or whatever, the exact same as if you didn't have the peace with you, except you are untouched by it. It truly is impossible to describe. It's one thing to assume you have a spirit, and it's something else entirely to finally experience it. The peace of God touches your spirit. When I was born, he finishes with, When I was born again, I was sealed with the Holy Ghost and got to taste the peace that surpasses all understanding, and it is worth it. The single greatest thing I've experienced. Like once you have the spirit, you can see what real love is compared to what the body considers love what real peace is, etc. I instantly knew that no day in my life was worth living without this. I mean, if you are not aching to know Jesus after hearing his amazing account of being lost and then receiving Jesus into his life, I don't know, right? Isaiah says, There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord, but for the one who believes in Jesus. In the same book, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And in John, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. We cannot buy it. We cannot steal it. We cannot even earn it, but we can freely receive it, and it is available to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you're here tonight or listening on the internet and you do not know Jesus, God and all of his goodness is available with a simple prayer to him. Acknowledge your sin and repent from it. Surrender your life to your Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for you. And he will fill you with a helper, the Holy Spirit. Our spiritual foundation needs to be set solid. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Proverbs 3.33b says, The Lord blesses the home of the righteous. And in Matthew it says, The rain came down. 
The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because he had its foundation on the rock. Success is from God. Now the Proverbs 31 superwoman, she didn't spend all her time at home because she was out buying and selling in the marketplace, remember? But here's the thing. All of what she did was in service to her family. So we too are serving our family. We're creating a gathering place where family and friends are blessed. So we want to create a place for discipleship. In Acts, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately, a place of discipleship for discipleship, a place for fellowship and communion. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and cultivating a place to belong forever. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Now our hearts are full, and now we're going to be moving into our home and making it a beautiful and pleasant environment for our family. We've heard from God, seek first the kingdom of God, and we're ready now to get in there, right? We are God's creations. He's created us with five senses, right? We have sight, smell, hearing, touch, and taste. So imagine your family walking through the front door. What do you, the homemaker, want them to see? And this is where it's, you know, this is where I was praying about. God's going to edit your heart. I'm going to say some things, and you're going to think of more things. And this is the way the living word of God you know, as new and fresh and personably for each and every one of us. So when you imagine walking through the door, what do they see? A beautiful home, maybe perhaps nicely decorated. Maybe you have that talent, comfortable, beautiful furniture. Maybe there's a place for everyone sitting at the dinner table so everyone knows they have that chair, right? Do you actually like the table always set? Maybe you're the kind that has the table runner out and the place setting set always. Do you like pretty things like having fresh flowers around? You can buy arrangements and throw them in a vase. You can learn how to do floral arranging and make them. These are things for our site, for our family. Now we're getting into just practical, what, you know, how can we make our household a home with the practical things? Um, they actually, flowers are beautiful, right? They're a colorful vision to see. Are you the type that likes to make beds? You want to see 20 pillows on the bed? Do you want your house, your family to see that? Maybe that's it. When, um, before I homeschooled my kids, I did work outside the home, so I did have a housekeeper come on, on Fridays. My daughter had to have been, I pulled her out of school in second grade, so she had to be sometime between preschool and second grade. And she loved coming home on Fridays to see the vacuum lines in her carpet in her bedroom. This was a visual, um, joyful memory for her. <laughs> so you never know what you're creating. But most importantly, ladies, we want our families to see God's word in their home, right? So we, they see Bibles, right, in a Christian home. They're going to see our Bibles, our devotions. The wise homemaker will decorate with the word of God. God commands um, in Deuteronomy, he says, write them on your doorsteps of your house and on your gates. 
So we want his word to be all over, right? There's wall art with scripture that's beautiful. There's knickknacks. We can write his word on a post-it and put it on someone's dresser or, you know, our child's door or our husband by his car keys. I work at a place where um, there is scripture. I see it all day long. And... I love it. It makes my heart smile. And so I'm sure it makes our family's heart smile to see that. Now, when you open that front door, what do you smell? Is it a sweet-smelling aroma? Do you put a dab of perfume on just before your husband gets home so he smells that? Do you have a candle lit when your family arrives? And if so, what scent? Do you know what their favorite scent is? If you were going to light a candle for your husband, do you know what scent he likes, your children? These are things how we are, you know, we got to know our family. We got to be keen to their likings. Do your kids smell freshly baked cookies after school? Mine smell it a lot. (laughs) Not after school, but a lot. Do they smell those fresh flowers that maybe you arranged Is their laundry clean and folded and downy fresh? Do you get their favorite body wash smell? Remember, gee, your hair smells terrific. That's the smell, right? That's pleasing. Can you spray? Here's one thing. You can spray lavender on the pillows for a good night's rest. These are things for smell that can make, um, you know, the house beautiful for your family. Um, but the important thing is we, the homemakers, are the aroma of Christ, right? Always back to Jesus. Now, when our families are at home, what do they hear? They should hear calm, not chaos. They shouldn't hear arguing or bickering. We don't want to do that. But what does calm sound like? Indoor voices, right? Indoor voices. No shouting at each other, no yelling. They should hear you in prayer, Right? They should hear us in prayer. They should hear kind words from one another, encouraging words towards each other. They should hear about Jesus. Deuteronomy again says, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Right? We can play worship music. The other day I was studying, and I had the worship music on in the background, and my daughter is in a very intense program, and so she's always in her room studying. And then we had to run a quick errand together, and she was singing something under her breath. I go, what are you singing? I knew. She goes, oh, the song you were playing. So she remembers. So these things, you know what, they're, they're in our kids' hearts. And we have to just provide him for them and let God do the work. Now, what will your family coming through those doors touch and feel? Well, we want them to feel loved by hugs and kisses, right? And those pats on the back. Do you ever, like, talk to your kids and stroke their hair just talking to them? That's like an endearing, loving thing. I used to. She don't really like it now, but, you know, I used to. Um, We want them to have fluffy bath towels, right? This is touch, right? Do you know what kind of sheets your family likes to sleep on? Or do you just buy, like, the ones you like? Do they like cotton, flannel, silk, 
right? They might have a preference. These are things they're touching that we can provide for them that they like, and that will bless them, and it's showing love and kindness and all the fruits of the Spirit. What does their head touch at night? Do they prefer a down pillow? Do you know? A my pillow? You never know, right? So these are things that we can be in tune with our, with our household. Do you have soft, cozy throws to cuddle up with and watch a movie? What about um, T-shirts, jewelry, bracelets, things with pieces of scripture on it, right? Deuteronomy says, um, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads, right? There's things that um, we could buy for them, scripture bracelets, um, hats have scriptures, T-shirts. And then lastly, taste. Are you preparing good nutritional meals for your family? So the truth is, some of us do enjoy cooking and do it very well. And some people are just great cooks, right? I'm friends with some of you. But some of us just get the task done. And, but we produce something edible, but it's more of just get the task done. And the Bible says that we've all been given different gifts. I'm confessing. I was left out of this one. But if you're a scratch cook, right, a a cook that cooks from scratch, A, your family is blessed. B, put me on your guest list. (laughs) But on a serious note, there are options for some of us that do struggle in this very important part of homemaking, right? We all, we need to eat. And some of this struggle could even be an issue more of time, and maybe not so much the skill level, but time. Because when we do work outside the home, we are getting off, a lot of us, at dinner time, after dinner time, to get home and prepare a meal is can be hard. So I personally think it's okay to get outside help, right? If God provides the means, there are some things. Markets do have a lot of freshly made meals that you could get. And companies even have, I kind of want to try it, boxes filled with ingredients and instructions to prepare. At least on TV, they look very yummy um, to prepare the meals. So these are ways YouTube has videos how to, you know, um, cook quick things. Um, There's some cooks that cook like can and can put it. Most of the ingredients are like a can or box and then you get the fresh. So it's quicker. But listen, there's ways to help out those of us who need help. But the important thing for Christians here is to break bread together, to partake of communion together within our homes. It's about the Lord. Sharing meals together is such an intimate um, Activity It's throughout the scripture. So our work as a homemaker, from an eternal perspective, is not only valuable, but it's worthwhile. All of the, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, it's worthwhile. This lady, Sally Clarkson, says, I'm quoting her, Painting the reality of God onto the walls of your home will be one of the great works of your life. It's a very important calling. And so we need to be serious about it. And God gives us the tools. I mean, for me, I just got to get up and use them and do it. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer and not just say it. Whether you're painting walls in a castle or a condo or a camper, there's nothing new under the sun. It is and always has been about turning hearts to Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, we love you, Father. 
Um, we thank you for the call on our lives as women, homemakers, Father God. And we're thankful that you have given us the tools, and they have always been there, Father God. But tonight, Lord, um, it's my prayer, Father God, that um, your scriptures just uh, came open, Father God, and we're penetrating the hearts of each individual in those areas that um, you might want to, to have us better ourselves, Father God. Lord, we just want to be servants at your feet, Father God. And again, I just pray. I thank you for your word, Lord, and, and what you've taught me. And, and just that, you know, those, those weak areas in my life that I need to serve my family to please you, Father God, first of all, Lord Jesus. But we thank you, Father. Again, I pray for those people who do not know, who may not know you as Lord and Savior, Father God, that they would give their life to you, Father God. Salvation is such a great need of ours, Father God. So I pray for them, Lord. And I thank you for these women and these friendships, Father God, and that they um, that you even allowed us all to gather, Father. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.